Father, we do uh, lift up this time this morning. Thank you, God, for bringing us here, for getting us here. And now we just look forward to what you're going to do. God, as we do open up your word, we want to continue that heart of worship. And we want to be men and women who are ready to be moved by you, ready to be molded and shaped by you, drawn close to your heart, Lord. We come to church so we can get closer to you, know you better, serve you more. So Lord, bless this time. Have your hand upon us and do, God, what only you can do. And so again, remove any distractions, things that might, might cause us to, our, our, our minds to wander and let us focus on what you have for us today. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As we look at this, remember the author of Hebrews is writing to people who are struggling. They're having a hard time with their, with their faith and walking with God. So he wrote this letter, again, to encourage them. And I believe this section here, and I know we slowed down like we were kind of going through Hebrews and then, and slowed down, because I want to look at these people, uh, mainly for this reason. These guys are just people just like us, doing life, trying to get through, and God has recorded them for us as men and women of faith who exercise trust in God. Sometimes I think we think, you know, we hear the word faith and we think, well, I don't have that kind of faith or I don't have that kind. All you gotta do is trust God. Read his word and trust him. So that's what we're looking at. And then I know we kind of really slowed down in this part uh, compared to the author, but I think it's an important part that we can understand because in this section, these six people, they're not such giants of faith. As a matter of fact, I think they're kind of more failures than successes. But again, encourages us and lets us know this. God can use anybody. So let's read verse 32 again, 32 through 34. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, also of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, and turned to fight the armies of the, of, uh, the aliens, and the women received their dead, or received their dead, raised to life again. So as we look at this again, he says, he doesn't have time, and I kind of get it. Listen, if he would have included kind of what we're looking at of all these individuals, this would have been a really, really long book, the book of Hebrews. But we want to stop and take the time. And when I started this section, I said we're going to do two at a time, and we did two, and then now we've been doing one at a time. Uh, probably next week we'll do a half at a time. No, we'll stay at one at a time. But listen, as we're looking at these people, I just want to encourage us, and I want us to understand, again, they're men and women who are just, man, I'm trying to do life. So let's go to Judges chapter 16, kind of introducing it that way. Judges chapter 16. Today we're going to look at this guy named Samson. And 16 is picking up towards the end of his life. For homework, I know you guys do this every week. For homework, I want you to read 13, 14, 15. 
And then read 16 again. Then when we are done with that homework, I'm really going to tell you at the end, I want you to read the book of Judges. Because I want to like, keep us going in this whole thing. Remember the theme of the book of Judges is this. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. If you want to find out how not to walk with God, Judges is one of the best books to read in that. But Samson, this guy Samson, I'm going to kind of, I'm going to give you a real fly overview of 13, 14, and 15, and then I want you to read it to see if I'm right, because I might be stretching it. Samson actually was born to very godly parents, and that, listen, man, that sort of always blows my mind about this guy. If you remember, his mom was barren, couldn't have kids, and we never even learned her name. It's kind of incredible to me. The women involved in Samson's life, hardly any of them do we know their name. His mom's name was Manoah's wife. Because it's all we know, that's all she's called is Manoah's wife. And I'm thinking, doesn't she have a name? Couldn't we get her name? But remember, she was barren. She called out to God. An angel showed up, had a conversation with her. Then she kind of freaked out. Then she went and got Manoah. Then Manoah and her had a conversation with the angel. And then Manoah's a little bit freaked out. Then they do an offering. And an offering goes, uh, uh, the flame goes up. And then the angel goes up in the flame. And Manoah freaks out. Do you remember at that point? He goes, we are going to die. Because now he just realized that he had a supernatural being in his presence. We're going to die. And I love what she says. She goes, uh, it's, it's, so, it's such a wife thing. She goes, dude, if we were going to die, he would have killed us when he got here. He's not going to kill us when he leaves, right? That's my paraphrase. Now you guys are really going to read that. You're going to say, oh, I don't think that's a... But listen, she, this angel said, you're going to have a child, and he is going to be a Nazarite from birth. Now, I don't know how many of us, that doesn't mean, Nazarite doesn't mean that he was from Nazareth. A lot of people kind of get that mixed up and say, you know, oh, was he? No, a Nazarite was a vow. In Numbers chapter 6, more homework, Numbers chapter 6 explains the Nazarite vow. Usually, usually a man in Israel would want to make a vow before God about something specific. He would want to accomplish something. So he would take this vow, and it's called a Nazarite vow. And in that vow, he would promise that he would not drink anything alcoholic at all, not even eat grapes, nor would he touch the carcasses of dead animals, nor would he cut his hairs until whatever he was wanting to accomplish, until his vow was fulfilled. That was, that was one of the things. The, the hair definitely was a symbol. This guy's under a Nazarite vow. So that's what they, he would do. Samson was a Nazarite from birth. God made him you know, a Nazarite took that vow kind of for him. And here's what God told Manoah's wife. He will be a deliverer of Israel. Now, during this time, if you remember in Judges, they had a lot of people, Midianites, different people oppressing them. Right now, the Philistines are oppressing them. Not right now, right now, but right now in Judges. The Philistines are oppressing them. They're having a difficult time, man. They are not making it. They needed a deliverer. And remember, Israel would do good, and then they would start doing bad, and they'd do bad, 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 and then, and then they would fall under oppression, and they'd cry out to God. He would send a judge, hence the book of Judges. That judge would deliver them, get an army, do whatever, come against whoever was on them, and do it. So here's the thing. Now you've got to deliver. you got this guy, Samson. Samson was born, grew and became of age, and at that point it says he was filled with the Spirit. 
Now, if you read 13, 14, 15, and 16, you're going to find out he was filled with the Spirit four different times. Keep that in mind when we look at his character and what he does. So he's filled with the Spirit, and then, of all places, check this out. He goes to Philistine territory and falls in love with a Philistine woman, a, a lady from uh, uh, Temanite, a lady from Temanite, and he goes, oh, and here's what cracks me up. He goes to his dad, and he goes, Dad, I'm so in love. He goes, Dad, could you go get her for me? Seriously, dude? Like, you, who goes and asks their dad to go get a woman for him? Samson. But see, now we're finding out Samson's got an issue. Something's going on that he gets overwhelmed with love. Maybe lust, but we're going to call it love for now. And he falls in love with her. Her dad gets her for him. I'm thinking her dad should have kicked him right then and there, right? What are you doing? Number one, what are you doing? What are you doing hanging out there? Why would you even be looking at Philistine women? We're supposed to be overthrowing them. We're supposed to be coming out from under them. Why would you do that? And here's what I found. You know, sometimes as parents, we think we can con completely control our children. Here's a note for parents. You can't. You can try, but you can't. And as a parent, hey, I, I know, as a parent, you want to do that. Even when they're older, even when they're adults, you kind of want to control them. And one thing I found out when my daughter became a teenager, I remember she came home one time and told me she liked so-and-so. And I went, that is not going to happen. Now, what I did learn is I can't tell her to turn off her emotions. She can't, she can't help what she's feeling. But what I did learn is she will never be around that person to fulfill those emotions. You get my point? So, Because so, some, sometimes as parents we say, you can't like them. Well, they can't help it. They already, listen, they're already there. So as a parent, this is a little parenting advice. Chill out a little bit, but you can, you can. Hey, my daughter never got around that person. She's married now, but that one she didn't get around. So here's the thing. I'm thinking, Manoah, why didn't you tell Samson, ain't no way that's going to happen? But instead, he says, okay, he gets her. Then check this out if you read it. They have a wedding feast, a seven-day feast. Now, on their way to, the, to, to meet the girl and get things ready, they're walking along. Samson kills a lion with his bare hands. Hmm. Probably not a good idea, right? Some people are going, well, that's awesome. He's not supposed to touch dead things. He's killed a lion with his bare hands. Then they leave, then they come back again. Remember this story? And bees built a beehive in the carcass of the lion. Every time I read that, I think, that's a little weird. Like, do bees really do that? And if you remember, he went by... <laughs> Man, that's some good honey, and took some to his parents, didn't tell them where it came from. Then he goes, he goes for his wedding feast. 30 Philistine guys show up, and for some reason, he feels like he's got to encounter them in some kind of riddle thing. And they, you know, he says, hey, if you solve this riddle, I'll give you guys all new clothes. If you don't solve it, you give me 30 sets of clothes. How's that? They go, deal. So he tells them the riddle, and the riddle was basically, I ate honey out of a lion's carcass was the, was the answer. Well, they're not going to solve that, right? He tells them a little riddle, and they can't solve it. So they go to his wife, to be, and they say, go to your husband, get the riddle for us, 
And if you don't do that, we're gonna kill you and your father and burn your house down. So she goes, Samson, I love you. Give me the answer to the riddle. He gives her the answer, she gives it to them, and they solve the problem. So Samson's a little torqued. So he goes and kills 30 Philistines, takes their clothes, and gives the guys the clothes. And now he's upset. Things aren't going well, so he leaves. He comes back later on, and his future father-in-law had given his wife to somebody else to marry. So now he's really mad. You kind of get the idea this guy's like a piece of work. So he's really mad. Oh, by the way, he's supposed to be delivering Israel. We're not like doing anything with Israel right now. This is all about Samson and his, his ordeal and what's going on. So he comes back. His dad-in-law gave her away. So here's what he does. He gathers 300 foxes. Every time I read that, I think, seriously. Like who goes and catches 300 foxes? And then he ties their tails together with a torch in between them. Now, I don't know how that works. Everybody goes, how do you do that? Don't know. All I know is foxes don't like their tails tied together, number one, and they surely don't want a torch in between. So then they go through the fields, right? They go through the fields. All the fields burn. Oh, and by the way, so does his father-in-law's house and his to-be bride. Now, he's felt like I got even I'm done, and he goes up on a mountain and pouts. So now the Philistines are mad at him. So the Philistines go to Judah, and they go, go get this guy, Samson. We want him. And they go, seriously? And they go, you don't get Samson. We're going to wipe out Israel. Well, they don't want that to happen, so they go to Samson, knock on his door where he's pouting, and they go, hey, can you quit pouting and come with us? And he says... I will only go with you if you promise that you will not detain me. If you give me to the Philistines, that's fine, but you cannot detain me. They go, deal. Tied him up, took him to the Philistines. He, they turn him over. He busts the ropes and gets the jawbone of a donkey and kills a thousand guys. Huh. Are you kind of seeing the pattern in this guy? He's like messed up. Now listen carefully. He was a Nazarite. What were they not supposed to do? They were not supposed to drink alcohol beverages while he's at a feast. What do you do at an Israeli wedding feast? Trust me, you, you eat and drink. So he's doing that. Then twice he's touched dead carcasses. It's like, dude, what are you thinking? Why are you doing this? So then he kills these guys. Now that's where we're going to pick everything up. Oh, by the way, after he killed them all, he did say a prayer. He got really thirsty. So he cried out to God. First time he ever prays, cries out to God, tells God he's thirsty. God made, makes water come out of a rock, takes care of him. Now we're all caught up. Now in chapter 16, listen, in chapter 16 is where he really like does dumb, dumb, dumb things. Verse 1 of 16 says, now Samson went to Gaza and saw a harlot there and went into her. Do you know where Gaza's at? In Philistine country. Seriously, dude? I mean, do you read that? Do you ever want to jump in your Bible and like help the guy? Like, why would you do that? Number one, and this is going to sound really bad. Don't judge your pastor. But listen, here's what, my first thought is this. Are there no hookers in Israel you got to go to Philistines. What is the matter with you? Like, why would you do that? Sorry. Now some of you will never come back to our church again. That's just, 
But that's the first thing that pops in my mind. Like, what are you doing? And then, and then here he is, listen, man. I'm thinking, why would you do that? Why would you compromise who you're supposed to be? God, God, from your birth, you were set up. You had godly parents. They raised you in a godly home. And this is, this is where you've ended up? You're hiring a, a, a prostitute from the Philistines? So as he's hanging out there, listen, as he's hanging out there, verse 2 says, and when the Gazites were told Samson has come here, they surrounded the place, lay in wait for him all night at the gate of the city, and they were quiet all night saying, in the morning when it is daylight, we will kill him. Now I got to question some of that. I'm thinking, never mind what I'm thinking. That's, it gets weird at that point, what's in here. So they're hanging out, they're waiting. I'm thinking that you could kill them in a real easy way, but. So they're waiting all night, verse three, and Samson lay low till midnight. Then he arose at midnight, took hold of the doors of the gate of the city and the two gateposts, pulled them up, bar and all, put them on his shoulders, carried them to the top of a hill that faces Hebron. Now listen, we read that this had to be quite an act and I'm going to go ahead a little bit because you need to know something. He didn't have any outward appearance that made him look strong. Uh, you know, all the pictures you see and drawings of, of, of Samson, right? He's this, this guy full of steroids and buffed out and looks like, you know, the Hulk or something. And you're going, well, no, listen, everybody that looked at him said, why is that guy so strong? Hey, if you're all roided out and buffed up, people are going to know why you're strong. They looked at, now here's the thing, these gates, almost all scholars agree, probably would have weighed about 6,000 pounds. And he just pulls it up, you get the idea, they're closed, they have that big bar that comes down, and he doesn't even bother to try and open them, he just jerks the and walks, and some people say he walked 40 miles. We don't know if he walked all the way to a hill by Hebron or just a hill facing Hebron. Obviously, it's facing Hebron, but how close it was, we don't know. But I don't even care if he carried 6,000 pounds across the street. I don't care, right? But he puts it down, and he does that. Now, that freaks out the Philistines just a bit, and they back off for a time, and then verse 4 says, afterward, it happened that he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek whose name was Delilah. Now, this is not good. Do you know where the valley of Sorek is? Guess. Philistines. It's like, bro, what are you doing? And he falls in love with this lady named Delilah. Now, here's something that kind of cracked me up is reading commentaries and, you know, studying through this. I'm not, I don't, I don't know Hebrew. I'm not a scholar that way. So you kind of go to scholars to kind of get some help. There's four different opinions on what Delilah actually means. So here's what that tells me. They don't really know what Delilah means. Here's what I think Delilah, I came to this conclusion. Delilah means Delilah. Some people said, hey, some people said, oh, she means, you know, her name means uh, 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 the uh, devoted one. Others say that her name means imprisoned. The others, you know, that, that you're impoverished. And, and, and then even one, darkness. And, and they keep going, and I'm thinking, you guys really don't know. Now, these are scholars. 
So I'm not going to go with any of those. And then the one that says devoted, here's the crazy thing. Like, he's in love with this lady. I'm going to show you he's in love, love. Like, he's in crazy love, right? So some people are saying, well, if, she was, if her name really means devoted, then here's the, here's the way this commentator went. Then we know that she was a temple prostitute to the god Dagon, and now he's with another prostitute. I'm thinking, really? Just from like, trying to interpret her name? I don't think she was a temple prostitute. I think she was a manipulator. I don't think she was in love. I think he was in love. I'm not sure she was in love. But this guy is taken. And guys, when guys really fall head over heels for somebody, they do stupid, stupid, stupid things. And I'm thinking, dude. So he is way in love with her. And they start getting together. Now a little parenthetical part. This is why I know that she's not in love. Look at verse five. And the lords of the Philistines came to her and said to her, entice him and find out where his great strength lies and by what means we may overpower him that we may bind him to afflict him and every one of us will give you 1,100 pieces of silver. Oh, she's not in love at all. Now she goes, oh, there's money in this. Yeah, Did you notice something else? The last time when he was in Gaza, they wanted to kill him. When he was beating them with a jawbone of a donkey, they wanted to kill him. When he set fire in their fields, they wanted to kill him. What do they say this time? We want to bind him up and we want to afflict pain on him. Hmm. They've changed from they want to kill him. We want to make him as miserable as possible. That's interesting, isn't it? So their whole motive now has changed and they're moving in a different direction and they want to get him, they want to kind of ruin everything about him that they can. So they go to Delilah. Here's the thing, because I have read ahead. She says, Dill. Wow, if he only knew, right? So now listen to this, verse six. So Delilah said to Samson, please tell me where your great strength lies and with what you may be bound to afflict you. Seriously? Like, oh, Delilah, I love you so much. Oh, I love you too, Samson. Would you please tell me? Tell me where your strength comes from. Now, I can see a lady saying maybe that to a guy she's enthralled with. But then she says, and tell me what you may be bound with that we may afflict you. (laughs) If you're dating someone and they ask you, hey, what can I tie you up with in afflicting? Get out of that relationship. It's not a good relationship. And right now I want to scream at him, Samson, pay attention. But he's going, I'm in love. I don't care what she says. Dude, did you just hear what she said? She wants to tie you up and and afflict you. Oh, it's okay. I'm so in love. Delilah would never do that. Oh, man, right? So Samson said to her, look at verse 7. Samson said to her, if they bind me with seven fresh bowstrings, not yet dried, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. Oh, oh. Seems to me we got a guy here playing games. Hmm? Interesting, what does he pick the first thing he picks? Bowstrings. What are bowstrings made out of? Animal parts. Dead animal parts, not live animal parts. 
What are you not supposed to touch? Dead things. Why are you doing that? And here's what I believe is going on now. Samson's got to the point where he understands and he knows that his gifting from God will get him out of certain situations. And he's relying more on his gifts of God than his present, than the presence of the Lord. And also, maybe he's kind of come accustomed to, you know, God gets me out of these binds every time. Surely he's going to come through. So he makes some dumb statement like that. He does something stupid like that. And I think, why would you even, why would you do that? Listen, I think there's a clue. Look at the, look at the end again, because I think a lot of people miss this. He says, when you do that, at the end, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. I underline that. Because here's what I think is going on. I don't think he's just explaining something to her. I think he's sharing a little bit of his heart. I think Samson doesn't want to be Samson. He doesn't want to be a Nazarite. He doesn't want to have that burden of delivering Israel. He doesn't want to have all that on him. He's tired of what's going on. And I think in his heart, here's what he's saying. I want to be just like any other man. I want to get married. I want to have a house. I want to have kids. I don't want to do this thing. And I think that's part of the drive of this man. And hey, I'm not saying it's good, and I'm not just making excuses for him. I think that's part of his drive and part of what's going on. He'll say it three different times, actually four. He keeps saying, I want to be like any other man. So he tells her that. Then we know what happens, right? Verse 8, so the lords of the Philistines brought up to her seven fresh bowstrings, not yet dried, and she bound him with them. Now the men were lying uh, in wait, staying with her in her room. And she said to the Philistines, she said to him, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he broke the bowstrings uh, as a strand of yarn breaks when, fire, when it's touched with fire. So the secret of his strength was not known. Then Delilah said to Samson, look, you have mocked me and told me lies. Now please tell me what you may be bound with. I can't help but laugh. It's like, seriously, dude, it's like, come on. You got to know what's going on now. I'm in love. <laughs> come out of it. Wake up. Man, again, do you, you want to jump in your Bible and like grab him and shake him and say, come on, man. You're supposed to deliver Israel. Now you're playing some game with some lady, she doesn't love you. She's using you. She's gonna get paid. This, isn't, this whole thing's not good. And so listen, she goes, why did you lie to me? Oh, honey, I love you. So here's the deal. You know, I know, I was, just, I was just playing. So if they take seven new ropes and they tie me with those ropes, I will be like any other man. So she goes and gets the ropes, they tie him up, he breaks the ropes. Why would you mock me? Why would you do those things to me? You don't really love me, Samson. Okay, okay, really, really. Here's the deal, for real. If you take the seven locks of my hair and you put them in a, in a weaver's loom and you get them in there, I will be like any other man. So they take his hair, put it in a weaver. The whole time I'm thinking, he's asleep and he's not feeling them do that stuff. Now, I don't know how long his hair was. But I'm still thinking that's a little weird, right? Oh, by the way, when he says seven locks of his hair, he doesn't mean that he had dreads. Because some people think Samson, if you watch the, the TV show The Bible, Samson was a Jamaican with dreads. 
I'm thinking, why do you do that with your Bible? He's not Jamaican, he's Jewish, and I doubt if he had dread. So anyway, sorry, just the thing, because maybe they got it from there. He had the seven locks. But now they weave it in there, and they come in, the, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. He jumps up, breaks everything, and now, listen, that didn't work. Three times, you think three times you know that your wife is up to something. Not when you're in love. He's so in love. So then, listen, then she does this. Verse, we're going to jump down to verse 15. Then she said to him, how can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? I'm thinking, lady, your heart's not with him either. It's like, what is up with that, you know, of, of playing that game, right? But you, how can you tell me you love me when you're really not sharing with me? And, I, you're just, and then she does this. Middle of verse 15, you mocked me these three times and I have not, to, and have not told me where your great strength lies. And it came to pass when she pestered him daily. Are you hearing this? Daily with her words and pressed him so that his soul was vexed to death that he told her all of his heart. Are you reading, man? She nagged and nagged and nagged and nagged and nagged till he finally says, I've had it. And he tells her, Ladies, this is for you. Don't nag your husbands. I'm hoping when you start nagging that you think, Delilah, don't be a Delilah, right? Till his soul was vexed. I mean, you read that and here's what he goes. I'm gonna die if you don't shut up. So he tells her his whole heart. Now I'm thinking, why didn't he get out of there? Why didn't you split? I don't think they're married. Like, dude, just go, go home. And then listen, here's what he says. And he said to her, no razor has ever come upon my head for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If I am shaven, then my strength will leave me and I shall become weak like any other man. Huh. Now he gets down to the crux of the thing. What is going on here? Do you really think that because he had long hair he was strong? wasn't in his hair, it was in the vow. Remember, the Nazarite vow. And the hair represented faithfulness to that vow. The hair represented that you're doing that. I don't want us to think, because then you know, a bunch of you will grow long hair and think you're gonna get all, rip off gates of cities or something. It's not the hair, it's the heart. And now he has completely crossed that line. And he's let her know, listen, a Nazarite at the end of their vow would shave their head. Why are you shaving your head? Your vow's over. I read in this then what he's saying to God is we're done. He hasn't delivered Israel. He hasn't kept his part, what God raised him up for, put him in that position. As a matter of fact, check this out. He has not fought one battle. He hasn't even fought one person to deliver Israel. It's all been about his relationships and what, what's going on with him. You kind of get the idea that he was a little self-centered and he was very easily seduced. He's got some problems, right? So now he tells her that and he says, that's the secret and then verse 18, when Delilah saw that he had told her all of his heart, she sent and called for the lords of the Philistines, saying, come once more, for he has told me all of his heart. So the lords of the Philistines came up to her, brought the money, now they're pretty sure, brought the money in her hands, so she laid him to sleep on her knees. Every time I read that, I think, Ugh. but can't you see her just stroking? Honey, just take a nap. 
you'll be fine. And a guy comes in and shaves him. Now I've got issues with that. If someone's shaving my head, I think I would wake up. Don't you? I mean, I think if somebody's shaving any part of my body, I'm going to wake up. So he shaved him, but he did whatever, and he shaved off the locks, seven locks of his head. Then she began to torment him. Oh, it's a little different now, right? Torment him, and his strength left him. And she said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. So he woke up from his sleep and said, I will go out as before at other times and shake myself free. Listen, he's always feeling like God has to come through. And some of us kind of get that heart and that attitude in our relationship with the Lord. And we think, well, he's got to come through. Or, as I said before, we depend on our giftedness, not on the presence of God. You can be the most gifted person in whatever gift God has given you, and if his presence isn't there, you're just doing it in your flesh. And so now he gets up as before, I can go out and do this, and listen, but at the end of verse 20 is the key, but he did not know that his hair had been cut. It's not what it says, is it? Because I think this is important. But he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. Oh, where did his strength come from? The Lord. And all this time, you know, here's the thing. All this time, like God is there for him. God is right there. And I'm thinking, come on, man. This is how gracious our God is. We can be dumb as rocks, and God will still use us and come through for us. We can do the stupidest things, and God comes through. And some of us have experienced that. You go out and you do something, and you go, wow. God should not have done that. And he goes, I know I shouldn't have, but I love you. And I'm going, you so, so, and then here's what happens. When you continue down that path, you don't even know that the Lord's left. I think it's a shame that he didn't even know the Lord had left him. He should have known that. He should have been aware of that, but he didn't know. And so it was, he went out, he's gonna, and he's got no strength. Then the Philistines, verse 21, took him put out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza and they bound him with bronze fetters and he became a grinder in the prison. So he was a guy who ground wheat in a prison. Now here's the thing. I did some research and they used ox to pull and go around in the wheel to grind the wheel because it was big and heavy. Oh, he's doing the work of an ox. You know what that tells me? Still kind of strong. Still doing that work. Now, some people said he went from binding to blinding to grinding, kind of like a slippery slope he went on, right? And you're watching him, and you're doing that. One person, another person put it this way. He lost his secret when he lost his hair. When he lost his hair, he lost the spirit. When he lost the spirit, he lost his strength. When he lost his strength, he lost his freedom. And when he lost his freedom, he lost his sight. So now they're using him. He's doing it, and then... Verse 22, however, the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaven. So there's kind of a side note there that's going on. Now, I don't know how long a time period we have between verses 20, 21, and 20, or 22 and 23, but there was a period of time. Something was going on. And then in verse 23, it says, Now the lords of the Philistines gathered together to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their God, and, re and to rejoice and said, our God has delivered into our hands Samson, our enemy. Oh, by the way, do some reading in Judges and Samuel about this God, Dagon. Not a good God. 
I always tell people, man, if you're going to pick a false god, pick a good one. Don't pick Dagon. Dagon was like a problem. He didn't do very well. He didn't do very well on his own. And if you have a god that can't take care of himself, you need a new god, right? I always tell people that. If your god, can't, if you've got to like help your god out, you need a new god. So here he is. They got, and, and so they're having this sacrifice. And listen to what they said. Our God has delivered into our hands Samson, our enemy. And when the people saw him, they praised their God, for they said, Our God has delivered into our hands our enemy, the destroyer of our land, and the one who multiplied our dead. Why was Samson born? To deliver Israel, to bring glory to God, to exalt the name of God. What's he doing now? He's bringing glory to Dagon. They're glorifying their God because of him. That's kind of a sad, sad note, isn't it? He has slipped way down. They're glorifying their God because of Samson. And, and right there, I want to say, dude, that's, remember why you were brought, remember what happened. And he slipped that far down. Now, it tells us, Verse 25, so it happened when their hearts were merry that they said, call for Samson that he may perform for us. So they called for Samson from the prison and he performed for them. Now, I think a lot of people, you read that and just read over that. Do you ever ask yourself what he did? He did something. And, I'm a, and sometimes I read my Bible and I go, there's not enough information. Like, why don't we just say, and he performed for him. What did he do? Did he, did he do tricks? Did he do strongman act? Did he do a magician, sleight of hand thing? Whatever it was, he went out and he performed for the people blind without sight. And then it says, listen, then it says, and they stationed him between two pillars. So he did the performance, whatever that was. Then they stationed him in a certain place between two pillars. Verse 26, then Samson said to the lad who had held him by, or who had, uh, who had, who held him by the hand, let me fill the pillars which supports the temple so that I can lean on them. Now the temple was full of men and women. All the lords of the Philistines were there, about 3,000 men and women on the roof watching while Samson performed. Then Samson called on the Lord saying, oh, all this time, what was his first prayer? God, I'm thirsty. And God answered that, right? You go back, you read it for homework, man. Water came out of a rock. And now he's saying, he's calling on the Lord. And here's what he says. I love the first part of his prayer. Oh, Lord God, remember me, I pray. That's a good thing. Hey, if you've been blowing it with the Lord, one of the best things you can do is say, God, remember me. You might be, we might better pray, God, help me remember you. But it's good to come before him, right? A little bit of contrition there. That's good. He says, oh, God, uh, Remember me, I pray. Strengthen me, I pray. That's good. Just this once, that's good. Just this once, oh God. Now, this is where he kind of blows it. They, I may with one blow take vengeance on the Philistines for my two eyes. Oh. I don't want to deliver Israel. I'm really torqued at these people because they put my eyes out. Come on, bro. Now, I do believe, I believe this act here is why he's in the hall of faith. I believe it took faith. Listen, it took faith to believe God that you could push these two pillars apart and cave in an entire temple. I think that took faith. That took trust. 
but I don't think, again, his motive's still not really good. He asked God to do that, verse 29, and Samson took hold of the two middle pillars which supported the temple, and he braced himself against them, one on his right, the other on his left. Then Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. And he pushed apart with all of his might. The temple fell on the lords and all the people who were in it. So the dead that he killed at his death were more than he had killed with his life. And his brothers and all of his father's household came down, took him and brought him up and buried him between Zorah and Eshtal in the tomb of his father Manoah. And he judged Israel 20 years. He never did anything. He never really judged. He was just there. I think it's a bummer. And here's the thing. Yeah, he did something good for God, which should let us know that God will get his will done. And he did, you know, wipe out the lords, it sounds like, and took care of that, although it doesn't say that Israel was set free, but it seems to imply that. He did, he did a good thing in spite of himself. Do you want that to be the end of your life? Well, man, you know what? Pat did it, or God did it through Pat in spite of Pat. Don't you want to be involved? Don't you want to be part of, I want to be part of what God's doing, but I want to consciously know that I'm walking with God and in a relationship with God, and, I, and him and I, I know what's going on, and I definitely want to know when the Lord leaves. I don't want to do, listen, I don't want to be up here doing the gift that God has given me, teaching the Bible, and the presence of the Lord not be with me. I don't want to get to the place where I can do that. I heard of a Calvary guy. Well, I didn't hear. I heard a Calvary guy. Well, I, I read one of the Calvary pastors. I'm not going to tell you who. Several years ago said, oh, I've taught all the way through the Bible. Now I don't need to study anymore. Oh. Why would you say that? Well, you know, hey, I've taught Judges before. I've taught Hebrews before. I still study, actually, I think I study harder now than I did when I first began because there's things I want to know and things I want to find out. And I spend more hours studying now than when I first started. And I'm not going to, listen, I'm not going to take for granted the gift God has given me. My gift is teaching, and part of that means I need to study. I need to find out what it means. I need to dig in and know, and I need to feed people. Samson, he didn't care. He had the strength. I'll just use my strength. I don't care. I'll use my strength because I really like that chick over there, and I'm going to go for it. And you know what? I don't care what dad says. I don't care what mom says. I'm just going for it. Stop it. Now, on a side note, for those of you who are going to read 13, 14, 15, and 16, I got more homework. Chronologically, this is the end of Judges. When you continue on, it backs up prior to Samson and gives some details how they got to the place where Samson came on the scene. So for homework, I want you to start in chapter one of Judges and go all the way to the end of Judges. You don't have to do it, you don't have to do it this afternoon. Spend some time getting to know. Find out what happened. Find out what the people were doing, what was going on. Now, one more thing. The blessing in this is our God is a God of second chances, third chances, fourth chances. Look at all the opportunities he gave Samson to do the right thing. And even in his death, yeah, he accomplished something. But man, I don't want to waste my life 
I don't want to waste my whole life. And at the end, some, well, you know, man, Pat kind of did okay when he was croaking. I want to do okay all the way through. So yes, he's in the hall of faith, and some of us question why, but we need to take away from this that God can use us, and God will use us, not in spite of ourselves, but God is going to use us because we're going to put ourselves in a position to be used by God, and we're going to draw close to him, and we're going to allow, listen, we're going to allow our hearts to get melted with his heart so we can do his will. That's what it's all about. Let's stand up and pray. Father, we thank you. Lord, we thank you for your word. And, and I just thank you. God, it is a challenge. You read this guy and it's a challenge. I surely don't want to be that. And I don't think any of, of my brothers and sisters standing with me want to be that. They don't want that at the end. Oh, maybe they want that at the beginning. But God, I pray. I pray for some people because I watch some people make some commitments and start out some things and then they just don't follow through. God, I know, I know your heart for us is to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Your heart for us is to walk with you and, and I believe with all my heart is to enjoy you day by day, moment by moment and have that fellowship with you. By faith, we can do that. And so Lord, don't let us, don't let us take for granted anything in our lives Anything that you brought in our lives, let us recognize your hand in it and fellowship with you through those things. And I'm gonna ask you to stay in an attitude of prayer for just a couple more minutes. And you know what? If you are here today, you've never asked Jesus Christ to forgive your sins. You've never asked him to come into your life, to invade your life and guide you and direct you. Then you know what? Today's the day to do it. If you have sinned, which you have, I'll just inform you, since you have sinned, the wages of sin is death, meaning separation from God. You've offended a holy and righteous God, and you have nothing, listen, you have nothing to give him. That's the bad news. The good news is Jesus Christ took your place, and they paid what, and he paid what you owed, and paid it to the Father, and now God can forgive you through the blood of Jesus. That's, that's great news. So if you want that to be a reality in your life, you've got to accept what Jesus has done. You've got to say, yes, I want that in my life. So I'm going to pray. I'm going to help you pray. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put words in your mouth. I'm going to say a prayer, and you can say this prayer with me out loud. You can say it silently, but it's got to come from your heart. You've got to be sincere about it. If you're backslidden today, man, come home. Come back to Jesus. His heart is that you would be with him. He's got his arms open wide. So come home. If you're watching online, you know what? Say the prayer right where you're at. You don't have to be in this building. So again, you can say it out loud. You can say it silently. But repeat after me. Jesus, today I confess to you that I am a sinner. I'm sorry that I sinned against you. And right now, I'm asking you to forgive me. Jesus, thank you for dying for me. Thank you today for your forgiveness. And right now, 
I'm asking you to come into my heart and change me. Jesus, I want you to come into my life and guide me. I'm asking you to be my Lord and my Savior. 